I'd like to welcome you to WCPT AM's Out Chicago. Think of us as Sunday brunch with your gay best friends. Now, please welcome your host, Scott Duff. And a happy Sunday fun day to everybody out there. Scott Duff here along with Ellen Miller. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, It's Ellen. a beautiful winter day. It is a beautiful winter day. This is my kind of winter. It is your kind of winter. I was thinking about you when it, like, we had all of the kinds of weather on Thursday. Yeah. Like every kind. Oh, you were so sweet. You said, are you doing okay in the weather? Yeah. That yeah, was yeah, really yeah. nice of you. I was thinking about you and then, like, then it all went away. It did. It went all went into make. Oh, this Just, is a gift for Ellen. It was. A is, that's what I thought. Gift. Thank that's you. That's gonna be my, that's gonna be my ch- my children's book. Gift. A gift for Ellen oh. because I control the weather and the birds. Yes, you do. You're I doing a great do job, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. There we go. Hey, uh, we're so glad that you joined us today. We've got a great show mm-hmm. uh, lined up for you. Hey, tomorrow night that would be uh, uh, the February twentieth. Pride Arts is opening uh, its new show called One in Two, an autobiographical play about a young black man who becomes diagnosed with HIV. Uh, And the title is actually taken from the mind-blowing statistic that one in two uh, black men who have sex with men will be diagnosed with HIV. When I read that uh, factoid, it really saddened me. Yeah, it's it's just hard to believe. It's hard to believe. So uh, we're going to be speaking with director Jordan Ratliff uh, later on in the show. And, you know, there have been been big goings on. We're we're kind of focusing on on the arts today. Uh, There are big going on at at Metropolis Performing Arts Center in, in Arlington Heights. They've got a new vision, new values, and new leadership. I love that. Yeah, it's my old stomping grounds. I grew up out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're going to be speaking with interim uh, artistic director Robbie Simpson uh, in the second hour as yeah. well, just to kind of see what's going on because I know there was some um, not very good things happening out there Inter- earlier. Yeah, right. so yeah, we have to get enlightened yeah, about what's yeah. happening. So it's people they 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 are taking control. They are you know like. Many arts organizations throughout the Chicagoland area, uh, they have been trying to. Just redo their, like yeah. they said, redo their vision and rethink, their values, think rethink things, things yeah. and be mm-hmm. like, okay, how can we make this a more equitable place? How can we make this a place where everybody is welcome? Uh, so I'm very excited that we're going to be speaking with him. And you know. Yes. What do I know? It is our, t- it's our 10th year. I Which know. I can't believe. Still I can't tell believe. People, they're like in shock. I know, like, but so you know, to celebrate, we love to give away prizes, prizes, prizes. Yes, and today we are going to be giving away a pair of tickets to see the top five of RuPaul's Drag Race season fourteen coming to the Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana's new Hard Rock Live venue on March twenty fifth. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, if you if you don't want to, if you if you if you're just chomping at the bit. Yeah. Need to see some Willow Pill. Mm-hmm. Need, need yeah, to, where? You know, you know, you just need to, like, tickets are available at Ticketmaster. That's right. You know, but you must be 21 or over to attend. For more information, you can call 219-228-2383 or visit hardrocknorthwesternindiana.com. And I think it will sell out, so do not hesitate. Heck yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love them so much. I love Drag Race. It's so great. Sure. Although the one this week, it was a little, like, there were some shenanigans that happened, I thought. Oh. There's always shenanigans that's going on there. Hmm. Have you started watching it? No. No. Nope. Keep meaning to. Nope. Maybe year 11 of our show. Okay. Great. Great. And by then, you know, Rue's going to be in a diaper. Oh. 
poor Ruth. Don't say that. I won't. I wouldn't okay. do that. Of course, you know. Uh, and of course, we would love to uh, hear from you. So give us a call at 773-763-9278. That number again is 773-763-9278. Of course, you can find us on Facebook where we are coming at you live. Uh, just head on over to Out Chicago Radio. And while you're there, give us a like and a share and a click and all that good stuff. But if that doesn't float your boat, you can always tune in on WCPT 820. And while you're at it, follow WCPT on all social media at WCPT820 on Facebook, Insta- Instagram, Twitter, and TikToks. There we go. Uh, uh, Ellen, how you doing? How was your week? How was Valentine's Day? Oh, I, yes, it was I, Valentine's It was Valentine's Day. Day, and I'm texting you like, business, blah, 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 business, business, business. And you're like, well, we just got back from dinner. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's okay. I Because totally. I know not everybody celebrates it. It is not, yeah. Uh, when we feel that we're not amateurs because we go out on the actual day, the true amateurs go out on the weekend close to uh, okay. Valentine's Day. But anyway, we went to a, a great, small, independently owned restaurant in Lincoln Square called uh, Dua Lire. Oh. I think that's what it's called. Okay. And it's Italian. And just the food is fabulous. And, you know, so many restaurants have had to really increase their pricing because of supply. Yeah, food costs and everything and, going and food up. food costs yeah. and everything else. They keep things reasonable. It was a, you know, anything with a two in front of it with an entree now is reasonable. I mean, yeah. you go to restaurants, it's, it has a three in front of it, and it's like, ah. Ooh. But uh, nice service, wonderful food, made to order, and just we had a lovely evening, the two of us. Yeah. Uh, there was, last year we went to a downtown restaurant. I think we were the only gay couple in the whole place. Um, I seem to remember that. Yeah, and I was like, oh, we remind us to stay in like the a, neighborhood Didn't they have time. like a weird, like... Didn't you have like a weird dessert moment? We had a moment where they, the minute we sat down, they said we're limited to ninety minutes, and an hour into being there, we still didn't have our oh, entree. That's right. <laughs> so when they, when, when it was at past the ninety minute mark, I said to my waiter, um, "Is that going to be extended? Because we haven't even gotten to our dessert course yet." Yeah. But uh, you know, but there was another. You know, there was, there was a uh, two men there. There were two women there. It's just. Which is what the neighborhood looks like. It feels yeah, yeah, like yeah. So we had a lovely Valentine dinner. Thanks for asking. Did you guys do anything at all? No, I had to work. Yeah, I, you, I, that's I right. worked. But you like, were working. I, you I were, brought. That's I right. brought flowers. See. I brought like some some uh, uh, cream and blush roses home. Beautiful for my Valentine. That's that's it's, you know you you do what you can on Valentine's Day whatever works out for you. I did propose to Kathy on Valentine's Day, so it, it's uh, well, a little... see now you keep leaving that detail out to yeah. in my head. So, so for that, us, of course it means a very special and thing. And I told for you, you my dad made it special. So that Tuesday was Valentine's Day, and then we stayed home the rest of the week, but. Had a fabulous uh, evening last night and day. Uh, I was asked by the uh, Lakeview East Chamber of Commerce's Maureen Martino, kind of last minute, hey, can you put something together for a Mardi Gras pop-up that we're doing in Wrigleyville? Yeah. And I got two of my band members, Dave Herrero and Peaches Statton, guitarist uh, and vocalist and rub board player. And we played uh, one set at a place called Houndstooth, and then we went down to a place called NOLA. It was so festive, they were giving away masks and beads and people I was like I I'm so happy this exists you know because I love New Orleans. I'm going to Mexico oh, just tomorrow. just notice your little Nola beads. Yeah, I'm wearing beads. There you go. Uh-huh. And in Mexico, carnival's a big deal. It is a big deal in a lot of countries. But yeah, yeah, in yeah. our country, other than, you know, New Orleans, it's kind of sometimes under the radar. But, boy, if you're interested in the next couple of days, Wrigleyville is, they went from their Christmas, you know, Theme and they, up, and they Christmas just... everywhere to Mardi Gras everywhere. All right. So it was a lot of fun. And then last night, um, I went to Rose's 
where uh, my dear friend and mentor Billy Branch was celebrating, uh, playing there and celebrating their 39th anniversary. And while that's Rose's Records, Rose's uh, Blues Lounge on on Armitage, West Armitage. Gotcha. Okay, thank you. And a a, a man sitting across goes, "Hi, Ellen. Nice to see you." And he goes, "You probably don't remember me. I I met you here before." And his name was Carlos. I did remember his face. He's a listener of our show. Okay. And he he loves our first segments where we talk about what we what we're up to and and he said his sister's a huge fan in Michigan, I believe. Well, hello. And you know, we love hearing that. So Carlos, you made my night by uh by, you know, just randomly having been sitting at our table and telling me that you love uh WCPT and out Chicago. So that was a beautiful moment. That's awesome. It was cool. And then I got on stage with Billy at around midnight. <laughs> of you course, know, because that's how you roll. On the night before that a, is a how you roll. Show and before and had a uh, just a great, you know, he's always so generous with the stage. And uh, when I left, one of the, the person booking the place says, do you have a band? Because I like to book you. It's like, do I have a band? I do, but it, our band is seven people and it's hard, oh, it's it's a, hard it's to play. Long, but anyway, it's, it's nice to be thought of. It's it's a small, you know, Smaller, it's a club, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, just a, a, a fantastic evening. And I know you had a fun weekend. You I did well. Did actually, I do remember of- I did celebrate Valentine's Day. I forgot. I took Ruby, oh, m- my ninety-two-year-old yes, friend. Yes. We went to the Museum of Contemporary Art. And what's there together. these days? Uh, it is the uh, I think it's called Forecast Front. Is it a weather it's, it's a, show? No, it's not. It is actually it is a uh, a collection of artists from the Caribbean diaspora, oh. and it was uh, they oh, it I would just, like that. It's really amazing. It just opened. It had just opened like up. Haitian artists and everybody, everybody, every, like from the entire diet, oh, like from like I, Puerto I, I Rico collect and some of them. So. Yeah, it's it was yeah. pretty amazing. It had just opened up uh, at the when I was hosting the reader. Gala, right there, oh, but yeah. I didn't have time. To, like sure. I kind you, of ran through it. To do, yeah. yeah, I kind of was like, oh, oh, pretty, 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 pretty. Uh, uh, uh. But now I was able to go back and like really just kind of sit with the pieces. It was, it's really good. Do you know like, how long it's going to be around? I think it's there until April because oh, it's been good. going. It's been going on since uh, November. Because I do love that that kind of art. Yeah, yeah. it's but it's they really explore. Um, the history of trade mm-hmm. uh, through the Caribbean uh, looked at uh, enslaved peoples. Uh, that looks at the the Caribbean's role in the global economy. Uh, it's some incredibly powerful pieces that are there, and of course, you know, there's incredibly joyous pieces as mm-hmm. well. Uh, the one that like really stood out to me there was a, a collection of. These, I believe they were drawings, like ink drawings, mm-hmm. of um, black hair, of black women's mm-hmm. hair, uh, and they're the photograph. They're all from the back, and the the photograph, the the drawings are are stunning and so detailed. But every one of the figures is wearing a um, a slave collar with it, Ooh, and then heavy. growing out from underneath it is a botanical, a different botanical on each one of the the, mm. the 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 drawings that is used to induce abortion uh, because oh. uh, because women were raped uh, <coughs> constantly and they to have some sort of autonomy over their body they would have they would take these things in order to abort whatever mm-hmm. to take you know yeah. to have some uh, agency over their body. Pregnancy it that they were was it was stuff. incredible to like. It was very, very moving wow, that is to watch. But the like the whole thing is just intense. like it, it. It 
it just you know I, the, the MCA has been knocking it out of the park yeah, lately. They, they really have. have. So you know we live in a city that is so amazing, so vibrant, so full of culture. Go check out the MCA. Uh, it's you know right there in the heart of the Gold Coast, right mm-hmm. off of Michigan Avenue. Um, it's free on Tuesdays mm-hmm. for. For Chicago folks, mm-hmm. so go check it out. I mean, it's it's, it's one a of those great things. Great suggestion. I, yeah, I you know, want to see it before it closes. Yeah, yeah, it it really is is stunning. And and then to go to something a little bit more joyous on Friday. Yes, I, I want to hear about Yes, this. I got to go. I uh, was invited by AIDS Foundation Chicago uh, to be a judge. It's a tough job, Scott, but somebody world, had to do at it. At the world of chocolate, holy smokes. <laughs> Tell me about it. Did you overdose at all? Because I love chocolate, but I just worry. Okay. Okay, so I I was trying. It, it was amazing. Yeah. First of all, the event was was incredible. Did there you like were at Union at, Station? Oh, I love Union Station. Mm-hmm. I love just that Grand Hall is so incredible. It's just yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's so beautiful. It was just gorgeous. It was a beautiful venue. There were over a thousand people uh, that came and uh, that attended the event. Um, there were twenty two chocolatiers. <laughs> And you tried every one of them. Yes. Just a little bite. Well, here's the thing. I was trying to take my my knot. Like it was a little there was so much going on. So like I I got there and I like, you know, made sure I got there. I we had to be there like by five thirty. The doors opened at six to everybody. I met uh, uh, Denise and her husband, Ray. Ray, hello. Ray, you listen to the show every week, so lovely to see you. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, there, there were a bunch of CPT uh, fans that oh, were there. Fantastic. So it was great. It was wonderful. And you know, people were like, mm-hmm. hey, I listen to you all the time. I'm like, oh, good. Great, great, great. Good to One know. guy was like, I'm a little starstruck. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm a little goofy. So, you know. <laughs> they know we're that just gonna, Yeah, I hope so. Uh, but it was like, it was amazing. And I was paired up with Deb, who was kind of my ambassador. Uh, she, she led me around mm-hmm. and she took notes they had like a notepad so she was like taking notes for me after oh, everything oh very good yeah 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 and and Denise had gone she'd been this is her eighth time judging she's a private chef um, she's like I don't I, I haven't eaten all day and I'm like oh I didn't oh, even think d- about that <laughs> dang she's a professional I, know, I didn't even think about <laughs> yeah, that yeah next time and, and so we kind of were like we started going through and there were times I was like, "Hi, can can I just get a small?" Like there was, I mean, the so portions were <laughs> much chocolate. And if he finds, there I was, was thinking about thinking if he fe- finds something he really likes, it's going to be hard not to eat a lot of it, even though there's more to come. Well, uh, see, I did rookie move, even though I watch Top Chef all the time, yes. and whenever they have these big group events, you know, these events where they have to cater for you know 200 people or whatever, the judges always come in, they hear, and then they step away from the table. I, I, I did not step away from the table, and I, I I did not. I felt bad about throwing out the food. Right, I, I, I would too. I feel like, the exact same ah, way. Ah. So I I ate a lot of chocolate. I ate a lot of chocolate. It was it was it was kind of amazing. Mm, it was great, fun. but it was so much like it was fun just to see all the different kinds of businesses that were there. Yeah. Um, the standout for me was from I think it's the David E. Rubenstein uh, room or it's at the University of Chicago, uh, and this this chef mm-hmm. made these two things that were like. Oh. So good. They did this uh, a, a, a chocolate com, uh, Negroni uh-huh. des- inspired dessert. Oh, d- dessert. So it okay. was like um, 
There was like a, a vermouth uh, zabuyan on there. There was mm. blood oranges that mm. had been, you know, soaked in Campari. They made a compote of Campari and blood oranges mm-hmm. and everything. But then they were one of the few people that did a savory chocolate, and they did. Mm-hmm. Do tell. This chocolate lamb mm-hmm. with eggplant. Stay with me. I, I'm with you. I know it sounds very, very weird. It was. I I I took a bite and I'm like this. Huh. I, I I asked him to marry me. Um, he said he politely declined. Uh, but yeah, it was it Did was. They, was there a winner crowned? And- well, there were a bunch of different. He actually won best savory and best small business. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best large business went to the Ritz Carlton. They had an Italian Sunday with a, uh, a, 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 a mocha semifredo. How many bites so of that did you get? I mean, I mean that, bites, there's a, a Sunday, it's delicious. It's like a whole, you Well, it was a smaller one. That oh, was at least in a smaller one, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I think it was JoJo's Shake, JoJo Shack, JoJo Shake. I think JoJo Shake is the name of it. They won best drink oh. uh, with this hot chocolate that had this gigantic scoop of like, Vin, uh, marshmallow fluff Ooh. on top. It was Ooh, so- I'm getting hungry just thinking I know, about but that this. was like the second Saying one like that. that I went to, yeah. and I like, and I had twenty two to go, <laughs> wow. and I went. There, I was like, "Can I get? Can I just get a small one? I just want to smell." Like, we don't do small. I'm like, "Oh no!" Yeah, it's hard to ta- take a bite of something delicious and throw it away. Yeah, but Can it you just was package these up for me for a doggy bag. Yes, yes. So, but it was a wonderful event. There were so that many people there. Fun. I got to run into folks. Uh, they were there. Got to see our good buddy Ken Mejia Beal. Nice. Was there and Brian Johnson there? No. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there were so many yeah. people, and literally, it took me two hours to just kind of go mm. through all the things and eat and drink I'm some sure water. That's a, that's a job, Scott. Yeah. I mean, we, we we admire you for taking Thank that. Thank you. On. You know, someone has to do it. It might so as well many, be how me. How many judges so, were there? Uh, that I don't even. I oh. think there were eight, maybe. Didn't, like sit at a panel. Or no, like literally, it was like you were partnered up with somebody and they walked you around. And you, they I was took trying the to like, for yeah, you. you took different yeah. notes and everything. Oh, Amy's candy bar, uh, which is on Montrose and. Damon, oh, I believe there used to be a bakery at that corner. I love. Yes, well, they uh, they won best sweet bite with this uh, uh, Aleppo and cinnamon truffle. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh my god, it was so good. Well, I, I think it was beyond beyond that, but it was the Aleppo cinnamon truffle that just totally like killed me. Fantastic. Uh, it was it was. Uh, it and was, it was all for a good cause. It was all for an amazing cause. It was mm-hmm. great. I will say, and you know, I there was a, a there were a group of people out front who were passing out flyers. Okay. Uh, uh, about Howard Brown. Oh. And their um, the whole union busting thing that's that's happening there. Oh. I have. We have yet to dip our toe yes. into that pool yes. uh, until we can find out a little bit more information mm. with all of that. But it is. It, yeah, that's a variant. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, okay, okay, there we are. And I'm like, well, this is not a Howard Brown. Yeah, events. function. Right. It is for AIDS Foundation of Chicago. Right. Um, but it was like it was. That did not sully anything. It was a, a beautiful night. I believe there was a ton of money, uh, all for a great cause because we are working towards getting to zero by 2030. Yes, we are. So zero um, uh, new infections. So that is great. 
Yes. For a great cause. For a great cause. You threw yourself uh, on the sword, the sh- the chocolate sword, as it were. Yes. For a great cause. Indeed. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. And I got home, and all I wanted to do was just, like, suck on a romaine leaf. <laughs> like, just <laughs> give me a green. lettuce leaf, just something green. Just let me just put uh, it out and just hold on to that right there. Uh, but it's wonderful. So thank you, AIDS Foundation Chicago, for having me. Uh, congratulations on a beautiful event. That sounds um, and, and I hope you raised a, a, a ton of of. Cash sure American dollars here. Uh, look at us. We just flew through oh, our, well, our first break. Our show. I know, but there we go. Uh, we do have to take a break, but before we go, this part about Chicago is brought to you by Team Hochberg. If you are selling your home and or purchasing a new home and would like to save thousands of dollars, you need to call Team Hochberg, your trusted local lender. Team Hochberg is offering everywhere their perks at work benefit through the end of April, which can save you thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell a home. Okay, so here's how it works. Mm-hmm. When a Team Hochberg affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee up to 1%. Now, when a Team Hochberg affiliated realtor helps you purchase a home, you will receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing cost credit. Team Hochberg will credit their loan origination fee and their affiliated attorney will reduce his fee. Look, a couple saved close to nine grand using Perks at Work when they sold their home and purchased a new home. Uh, so, to learn how you can save thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell a home, give Team Hochberg a call at 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. That's 855-563-2843 or visit 56david.com. Lower.com, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1124061. We have got to take a quick break, but when we come back, there's so much to talk about. Poor uh, President uh, Jimmy no. Carter is uh, is now in hospice. We're gonna kind of yeah. wait into that, and then you know, fortunately for us, there is so much <laughs> anti-LGBTQ <laughs> stuff happening oh, all over. The, like it's it's pathetically sad. It's the new trend. So yeah. So uh, if you want to be on trend, stick around mm-hmm. and listen to uh, Out Chicago right here on WCPT. Hey, this is Mark Patton, and I'm from Spring Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, and you're listening to Out Chicago. And welcome back to Out Chicago. Scott Duff here, along with Ella Miller, as we roll along on a beautiful, beautiful Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did uh, have some sad news that yeah, came down the pikes. last night. I yeah. flashed uh, on my phone. The former president, Jimmy Carter, um, 98 years old, longest living president. Yeah. He is now in hospice, which, you know, and it's it's... It, the the Carter Foundation, which released the statement mm-hmm. uh, yesterday, was saying how you know he is opting to go uh, and to receive hospice care uh, and to spend his time at home, surrounded by uh, friends and family. Mm-hmm. They weren't very yeah. forthcoming with, with why, with like that, why right? why that is happening. But you know, it's we know he's had some health issues. He beat brain cancer in 1990, I believe it was. I mean, when he was 90, so yeah. eight years ago, and you know, <laughs> meet a lot of people that have beat that. I was yeah. telling Scott before the show that the first presidential election I was able to vote in was uh, 1976. Jimmy Carter. I was in college. I was 19, and. I'm so proud that that was the first vote I cast in a federal election because, yes, he was only a one-term president. He got a kind of a raw deal. But what a 
bunch of accomplishments. What great accomplishments and uh, he's done post-presidency. I don't think anybody has come close no, in history just... to making, to, doing the things he's done. I mean, talk about, you know, Habitat for Humanity and ambassador going over to other countries and helping out when they needed it and just a myriad of things. I can't even begin to name them off. But I'm so proud of that first vote, Scott. And I, also, I didn't have another winner until Clinton. In yeah, 92. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was a long drought from 76 to 92. But um, yeah. I just all you know, all love to Jimmy Carter, a, a class act. He and Rosalind have the record as the longest uh, presidential couple ever married as well. Some yeah, 70, well, she's some 95, years. I think, and I think he's 98. Sounds, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's so funny because. You know, you were saying that was the first person that you voted for. Yeah, I, I was younger. Yes, you're, yeah, and you still are. <laughs> I was, I was, I was a bit young yeah. at that time, uh, and I remember growing up in uh, conservative mm-hmm. suburban St. Louis, uh, and I was in third grade. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I was in third grade at like during the 1980 election between Reagan and Carter. And I remember everybody, and of course he had to deal with the the whole Iranian hostage crisis going on there. Yeah. That's that is what brought him. Well, that's what brought him down. Also, he was a Southern Baptist who came out in favor of uh, LGBTQ rights yeah. and and women's rights right to choose and yeah. the right to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what really that's where the uh, the the. Reagan campaign and the GOP, they that's when they that, really, yeah. really went for that whole thing about, we've talked about it before, thanks to Rick Perlstein and his book, Reagan Land, uh, about the way that they organized discontent. Mm-hmm. And that is how they went after specific communities who were saying, like, he's supposed to be a person of faith. Let's go to these other faith-based communities Still and, the sing, playbook and today. get them. Yep. It was, it was... And, and I just remember people being like, oh, and we were in third grade. We didn't know anything. Right. You know, everybody's like, oh, Reagan won. And it's like, ugh. So that's the one. That, but it wasn't until I got older and just realized what an incredible yeah. a human being he is, aside from being a, he, the president who had a lot on his plate to yes, deal with. Yes, he did. Um, during the, as they all do. Yeah. Let's be truthful. You know, they all have a lot to deal with I mean, going on he, there. He but pretty he's, much, yeah. The, 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 I mean, right after Reagan took over, it was uh, the, the, the the hostage crisis ended. But that work had been done by Jimmy Carter. He just Reagan took all the credit. One more thing I just remembered. Jimmy Carter came to my university, Southern Illinois University. Really? And I remember like being standing on something. I don't know. It was a tree or a, uh, something. And I and watching him and, and hearing, you know, the first president uh, actually, I saw Richard Nixon when I was in high school. I was a big fan. You know, Were you? I was a Republican <laughs> as a of kid. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God, by the time I became voting age, I had gotten, I'd come to my senses. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, you know, the the thing about him, like, he has been the most incredible uh, post-president. Oh. Uh, the Washington Post Without called. Without a doubt. Yeah, the, the Post called him the uncelebrity president. He did not go on the speaking tours. He did not no. go onto the corporate boards. He decided to have a modest life, and he truly. Is a, is a, rep, I mean, a faith. He's a man of he's faith. He's a man of and faith. And, shows he's, and he's a life, and he is a, truly a servant leader. He totally he is. He is somebody who's like, he does not ask you to do, like, I'm sure he was the one that was setting up chairs or taking down chairs at any sort of meeting that he would have. You know, with Habitat Humanity, he's out there, he's out there building uh, houses 
while he's dealing with ca- battling cancer. Like he, he truly, there's. He puts, he puts everything before himself. Do you remember when he got in trouble with the Playboy uh, interview when they asked him, a, I don't know what exact quote, but have you ever lusted after another woman or something? And he said he lusted in his heart. Oh, yeah. Remember that? And that, oh, my God, he lost it in his heart. Oh, he's not a Well, <laughs> He was so honest, you know, the poor guy who was just saying, yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it, didn't know. he also say, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, this is one thing, a quote from him that I like. If I ever lie to you, if I ever make a misleading statement, don't vote for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he lied, he said, he would not deserve to be your president. God, I wish more of them. Would I say know. That. It's like, oh, just what a great they man. Broke the mold and when they, they made guys. And really, you know, World War II veteran. I mean, again, the world's the, the greatest generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But why don't we go? Let's go to the phones. Some people want to weigh in on this. Let's talk to George on the South Side. Welcome, George. You're on out Chicago. Um, a brief point before I get to what I called you about. Uh, Jimmy Carter was not a World War II oh. veteran. Oh, I'm sorry. Was he was he Korean War? Well, he was. Uh, nuclear navy he was a submariner so he didn't uh, participate in any combat um but he was a so, veteran he still served the country oh yeah 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 and a grad and a graduate of the naval academy i mean he's a, a super smart guy i mean he's a nuclear engineer you don't get to be that in hyman rickover's nuclear that's right navy. He did, yeah. He was in the in the fifties, so yeah. Sorry, I was looking that up as I said. I knew he was a veteran. I I thought because you know, time's flying by. Ninety eight is still young for a World War II veteran. <laughs> right. So, so thanks sad. for calling, George. Um, I'm a lifelong Democrat, and uh, I voted for Carter. But over the years, I've developed a certain ambivalence about his presidency. Um, Tom Hartman has talked about this a great deal from time to time, that both Jimmy Carter and, sadly, Ted Kennedy swallowed the right-wing economic Kool-Aid about deregulation. And uh, their deregulation of the trucking and airline industries literally cost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people good union jobs. I was one of them. I worked for what was at the time the third largest trucking company in the country. And six years after deregulation, we went belly up like hundreds of companies in the industry did. In fact, um, the publication that's the Bible of the trucking industry, it's called Transport Topics, did research on this. And 50% of all the freight that was hauled in 1980 was hauled by companies that were out of business by 1990. Hmm. The same kind of disruption has happened in the airline industry. So in both trucking and airlines now, you have like five huge companies that are essentially monopolistic, and this is not good for our economy. Well, do you place, are you, do you, I'm sorry, do you have a a grievance with with, uh, President Carter, or do you think that President Reagan uh, might have continued on with that deregulation sort of? Oh, well, that would lead me on to my my next point. The the deregulation of the airlines began under Carter in 1978, and deregulation of uh, trucking began under Carter in 1980. Uh, Clearly, Reagan was a fan of both and continued the process, but it's something to 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 uh, destroy the regulation of interstate commerce, which was one of the foundational building blocks of the New Deal, is something that no Democratic president ever should have even contemplated. 
Uh, the other thing is his mishandling of the of policy with Iran and the takeover of the embassy led to, and then the the clumsy failure to uh, stage a military operation made it possible for a, an idiot like Ronald Reagan, who people thought of in terms of his role in bedtime for Bonzo uh, prior to his being elected, led to the the courts being packed with right-wing judges, particularly the Supreme Court. I mean, one of the positive aspects of Carter's presidency was his uniformly excellent appointment of judges, but he never got a Supreme Court slot. And that has been to the disadvantage of all of us for 40 years. Yep. Well, uh, George, thank you so much for giving us a call and and, and giving us some insight into his yeah, administration. Uh, we really appreciate that. Yeah, I think I think the books on him are going to be more about what he did since his presidency, uh, which, you know, I mean, the four there's four years compared with, you know, 40 years. He also began the uh, orchestrated the deregulation of my favorite industry, radio. Um which is, I'm not too fond of that yeah, either, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, uh, yeah. it, you know, Reagan and the rest of them finished the job. But anyway, thanks for your call, thanks George. Thanks for your call. Uh, you know, callers, we, uh, we, sh- we should probably go to a break, but we will get to your calls on the other side. Uh, if you were just joining us, we are talking about um, uh, President Jimmy Carter, 38th president. Uh, he uh, is, has entered into hospice care. Um, so we're just kind of reflecting on him. And we've got some callers on the line. So we'll get to you after this break. So stick around. You're listening to Out Chicago right here on WCPT. I'm Heather Vickery with Greatest Expectations. Welcome back to Out Chicago on WCPT. And welcome back to Out Chicago. Scott Duff here along with Ella Miller. Mm-hmm. Rolling along. Yes, we uh, we are, we've been talking about uh, how President Jimmy Carter has entered into hospice. It was announced, uh, I believe, yeah. yesterday um, by the Carter uh, Foundation, mm-hmm. Carter Center. Sorry, the Carter Center. Um so, yeah, we just kind of been reflecting on him. Uh, we had a caller earlier who was saying, you know, he did not have an ideal administration and he mm. had some ramifications. But we have been what well, we both think that he will be remembered for was his post presidency. And for somebody who came out, it was like, I'm not going to go for the spotlight. He did not want to become rich because of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, he chose to be a servant leader. Uh, and that is what I think he, what he'll be yeah. uh, remembered for. Absolutely. So um, let's go. But thank you, callers, for holding on. Let's go talk to Steve. Uh, welcome. You're on Out Chicago. Yes, I just want to make a couple of points uh, with regard to former President Carter. I mean, irony of ironies, you know, as a guy who the right hated so much for so many decades, uh, yet he embodied everything that they would want in terms of moral yes. values and so forth. Man wasn't divorced, didn't have any children out of wedlock, didn't have any affairs. You know, all of the things that a ton of other presidents, you know, uh, like George Bush Jr., Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump. I mean, none of the scandals that followed them in their early life, later on in life, none of that was associated with Jimmy Carter. Yet, you know, they hated Jimmy Carter, mm-hmm. yep. despite the fact that he embodied everything that they espoused. So, uh, but uh, but beyond that, you know, it, it, it's the it's the case that it takes years and decades to really flush out someone's policy positions in terms of where they stand historically. And it turns out that guess what? Jimmy Carter was right. He was right on women's rights, women's right to yep. choose. 
uh, LGBTQ rights, all of these things that have come to be the norm that represent the vast majority of what Americans believe today. So, uh, and, and, and to be fair to him, I mean, he was dealt a, a terrible hand. You know, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Lori Lightfoot, but I, I understand that, you know, no, I wouldn't have wanted to be mayor, you know, with COVID and all the civil unrest that happened during her administration. Yeah. Definitely. Think about that if you, if you don't understand the presidency. That, that was the hand that was handed to Jimmy Carter, a terrible economy, inflation that was rampant, you know, a huge discontent in the country that uh, uh, was destroyed by the likes of Richard Nixon uh, because of the scandal. So people had no faith in, in our economy, had no faith in government, and, and that was the hand that was handed to him. And, and then somehow people are surprised that things didn't work out wonderfully. And then, of course, they attacked him because of it, and that's why he had a, he had a one-term presidency. Yeah. But on so many things, he was right. I mean, you know, today, I mean, I, I went to the auto show. Half of the, the cars there are hybrids, are electric cars. He's the one who put solar panels on the White House, yep. only to be taken, taken down, down the first week of the Reagan presidency. Yeah. So, again, I mean, on so many things, he was ahead of his time. He was right. And as you pointed out, unlike a lot of other people who leave office, I do this for a living. You know, I know they don't make it public, but as soon as they leave office, they put out feelers and they figure out, you know, okay, what kind of consulting gig can I get, lobbying gig? Well, how much can I get for speaking fees? And they make a small fortune. That was not what Jimmy Carter did. Instead, he said, you know what, what what I've got coming in terms of my pension, the the money that I made along the lines in my career, perfectly honestly, that we've saved away, that's enough. I'm just going to contribute to society. I'm going to give something back, it, despite the fact that nobody would have raised an eyebrow if you wanted to go out and make huge sums of money doing other things like other presidents have done. But again, uh, a man to be admired, and not just because of his policies, but he lived his principles. Yep, he and, did. And again, you know, I, I, I just don't understand how the, you know, the, the right can vilify somebody who, who embodied everything they espoused. Mm, they're hypocritical. They can embrace somebody like, like, like Donald Trump. Who is the antithesis of everything that they represent, especially on the religious right? Yep. Amen. Amen to that, Steve. Thank you so Thanks, much for Steve. giving us a call. We really Thank appreciate you. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it is so tr- it's so true because he really is. I mean, he's a Southern Baptist, no. you know, a peanut farmer. You know, he somebody who again all of these principles that the the right is so worried about well, like they, they, claim, they proclaim yeah. you know right now they're all you know now we've, we've got to look out for the children you know we're always looking out for the children on the right you know and apparently books are the way that that kids are going to be completely messed up yeah they're right looking now. out for their knowledge now. yeah they're, but they're, it's like but yeah. it's yeah this is somebody who literally walked the walk he did uh he is a he is a true christian uh as he is he's led by faith he is led by a desire of certain to serve he has been with his wife for one million years years, you know like it's 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 always astonishing that and i think it's it's the it's the money factor it's it's the greed it's it's it's, always comes down to greed and power it comes down to greed and power and Mm -hmm. he said you know when he got out of the out of office he's like i don't i don't want that i don't want to become rich because of the office um uh, he's like he doesn't fault anybody for doing right. for taking those opportunities he's just like that's just not such a beautiful demeanor too you know just all through life yeah 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 let's go back to the phones ron in michigan welcome you're on ron. out chicago good morning ellen and scott good you morning. know i'm a lifelong grad too but I, I have a couple of bones to pick with uh, jimmy before his passing you know in the second uh, uh campaign against reagan Jimmy Carter's uh, debate books were stolen. 
And it was alleged that the Reagan administration uh, 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 stole them uh, through George Bush, who was CIA director. And uh, Reagan had all the answers to Jimmy Carter's uh, debate and made made uh, Jimmy Carter look kind of stupid. And Reagan looked like a, a, a genius, even though he was slipping into dementia. And Jimmy Carter never pressed the issue before when the books were stolen. And the books just turned up. It was in the Sun- Sunday Sun-Times about two weeks ago. Somebody found those debate books in an Ohio motel, <laughs> marked uh, top secret. But, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter never fought fought for his presidency, in my opinion. Oh, no, I disagree. Well, you know, I, I, this is the first time hearing about, you know, the theory of people stealing his book, debate prep books. Not a theory. But, Not uh, a theory. Cool. I, I'm just saying that because I'm on the radio and I don't want to get sued. That's what I'm saying right now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but uh, you know, I, I think he fought the way that he fought, you know, to say that he wasn't fighting. I don't think that, that is necessarily fair or accurate. I think he was fighting the way he was a principled man who, you know, embodied that whole Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high. I think that that was how he rolled. So if somebody was doing, you know, if there was some chicanery going on, if there was some, uh, uh, you know, irreputable things happening, that I think he just was not going to address it. Um, I just think that's that was just kind of the 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 guy he was. We'll we'll definitely check into that whole thing about the the stolen uh, debate books because this this is news to me. Yeah, I, I am reading. It was called DebateGate, and, uh, uh, and uh, Reagan's team acquired President Jimmy Carter's briefing papers, classified top secret that Carter used in preparation for the October twenty eighth, nineteen eighty debate with Reagan. Mm-hmm. The papers were never specified to be either vital strategy memos or just uh, routine. Uh, position papers. The leak of uh, the papers was not divulged to the public until late June 1983. Goes on. So there is something here on good old Wikipedia. If oh, there we go. <laughs> on the Wikipedia. And one more point, if I yeah. may. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter also started the Afghan uh, resistance, if you want to call it, when uh, Russia invaded Afghanistan. He, he started supplying weapons to the Mohajadeen, it was a small trickle, but it, it, it led to a floodgate and also led to a never-ending... Of course, there was other actions that our CIA uh, stuck their nose in before Afghanistan, but that was really one of the triggers that started this whole worldwide jihad never-ending. And, and it, even though they say Jimmy Carter not, never got us into a war, he, in my opinion, he's the one who started the uh, aid to the Afghan uh, resistance and uh, the destruction of the Soviet Union, which continues to this day. With, and this is a part of the Afghanization of the uh, remnants of the Soviet Union, our uh, continued uh, the, the war in Ukraine. So, uh, Well, and he was not the only people. You know, we did back the Taliban at one point, you know. So, yeah. So, uh, but Ron, thank you so much for uh, thanks, Ron, for bringing that up. For bringing that up, and and thank you for your for your thoughts to our today. Attention. Yeah, you know, and I appreciate what he was saying. Like he, how I think today, from a contemporary perspective, we're talking about how we're not fighting for for things, we're not like clawing and and going after it. I think Jimmy Carter, that's just not who he is. I don't think he. I mean, he's a fighter in a different way that mm-hmm. seems a little bit more uh, passive or genteel, in a way. But uh, and I think for a long time, that's what the Democratic Party was was doing. They were trying to because we have so many different people under this uh, under the tent, 
that we, you know, you, you have to be a little bit more politic in your response as opposed to uh, uh, the GOP, which mm. tends to be very, you know, there's a certain profile shall I say, mm-hmm. that goes along with it. Now, I do believe that nowadays we're getting, which we just saw in the State of the Union, we are getting a little bit more, um, yeah. a little more punchy, yeah. you know, uh, on the Democrat side. And I think, you know, trying to figure out how to how to break through this 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 horrible divisiveness that's happening within our country no end right in sight, now sadly in my opinion none none mm-hmm. and then you know and of course like this week there was allegations that came out because of the um against fox news with the whole uh, uh oh poop the, the voting uh, machines voting, uh, Dom- uh, Dom- dominic Dominion. Dominion. Dominion voting machines and everything. There we are. But you have like Fox News hosts Mm. who knew that the election wasn't rigged, who knew the stuff was all kooky pants. And up with uh, their story and people buy into it. They're in deep duty and they're they're the ones who are stoking the fire. And they're they're held. I but hope they're held accountable for this. I hope they are too. But even then, like, what is it going to do? Like, so they'll just go to Newsmax. You know, know, will it bankrupt them? That's that's the big thing. They've got deep pockets over there, and they've got people over there who are and people who want to support. Yeah. You know, and but you have the primetime hosts all texting between each other that like. She's a nutball, mm-hmm. and Rudy's lost it, yeah. and you know this is right. this is total BS. Common and it sense work. is not allowed on that station. No, it's, it's just, not. I mean that that mm-hmm. is what what we have devolved to. You know, yeah. as as a as a as a, uh, a political country right now, it's it's horrible and bah, mm. gets well mad. again back to the deregulation. You know, uh, there was a time when people had to be responsible for what they reported. You know, and. Now, ever since, you know, that's how Fox News was born, you know, after deregulation. Hey, let's put this on and call it news. Yeah. When it really has no resemblance to the truth most of the time. Yeah. So that is one thing I really do wish they would bring back the equal time. Yeah. Rule, you know, just mm-hmm. like if you're going to have one side of the issue, you need to have the opposite side so they can you can get both points of view so you can make up your own mind as opposed to everything oh, being that's not how they like to, to play it, Scott, anymore. So. No, but I mean, but even with like, you know, the same thing as happens with on the right with, you know, it's like we're all being spoon fed. It's like, let's give us information mm-hmm. About everything, and then we can make our own decisions. Not your lousy opinions. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the part that's just kind of huge, yeah. you know. And it's leading to these bizarro things that are happening again right now. LGBTQ folks are like the public enemy number one, according to the the GOP. You know, it is. It's weird. You have. Uh, let's see. Um, there's okay. The, the whole book banning thing that's going on in Florida, you've got uh, Nikki Haley has decided to throw her hat into the ring, mm-hmm. which I, I probably shouldn't even begin to talk about that because it's a long one. It's a long <laughs> one, everything. But, you know, she's going big on anti-LGBTQ policies. She gave a speech in New Hampshire, uh, I believe, at the Exeter School. You know, Exeter. Mm-hmm. There we are. Very proud of it. And she told a crowd of people that the uh, the parental rights and education law, also known as the Don't Say Gay uh, law in Florida, which bans discussion of gender and sexual orientation in kindergarten through th- third grade, she said that, that that it was too timid, right. like it didn't go far enough, you know. And and 
I don't understand all of these people who are trying to attack curriculum, like school curriculum right now. I, what do they think they are teaching when we're talking age appropriate stuff? We're talking about this is what a family looks like. This is what, you know, families all look differently. This is people love differently. People uh, are, are shaped differently. Like all of these different things. What do they think that they are saying to a third grader? I think they're being groomed by the left. Well, yeah. And the woke. I mean, these politicians are appealing, obviously, to the fear of their base. And and they've de- de- the small base that it is, even if it's 30 percent, it's a minority in this country. But this is who they're stirring up. This is whose hot buttons they're they're hitting. And as you, we said earlier, we cl- they claim that they're religious, that they're God-fearing patriots. Yet when you teach love and understanding and 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 tr- people trying to accept one another for who they are, that just doesn't wash with them. I mean, again, hypocritical, fear-based bigotry and racism. This is the Republican Party of today. Yeah, it it, it sure is. And it's, I, 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 I yeah, I'm just gobsmacked. I'm gobsmacked I'm about this whole thing. I mean, you know, it's like, so, so the, the whole debate about like teaching sex ed in, in yeah, she school. She says you, you should be third grade, you should extend it older. You shouldn't be able to talk to kids about these things until they're what? You know, 15? Well, I don't know, but it's like it should be the parents' choice. It's like, well, let's talk about body autonomy. That's basically what they're talking about. They're talking about, okay, what's a good touch? What's a bad touch? That sort of thing. You know, that's the kind of sex education that you get when you're in third grade. Right. You know, nobody is talking about how babies get no. made or how, you it's know. just trying to make them aware, you know. That they, yeah, and to make them have a healthy relationship with their body. Yes. How dare they? How very dare they? And on that note, Mm. we're going to take a break. uh, And when we come back, it is the second hour of Out Chicago right here on WCPT. I'd like to welcome you to WCPT AM's Out Chicago. Think of us as Sunday brunch with your gay best friends. Now, please welcome your host, Scott Duff. And welcome back to the second hour of Out Chicago. Scott Duff here along with Ellen Miller as we roll along on this beautiful Day, it's President's Day weekend. Yes, it is. Are you buying a mattress? No. Everybody buys mattresses should. apparently on President's Day. It's it's the mattress holiday. It is the mattress holiday. Yes, it always has Why? been for years. It's so weird because people are you know it's winter and people are in their bed longer. I don't know. They I have nothing else it. to do but think about comfort. I don't know. I don't know why it's it is. It's always a mattress sale. It's right. The President's, it's Day, President's Day, Day mattress sale. sale. Like, come on. All right, so everybody get your presidential mattress uh, uh, tomorrow, but not right now. We've got a great uh, second hour uh, lined up for you. Uh, a little bit later on, we're going to be speaking with uh, Jordan Ratliff, who is uh, a, a, a theatrical director. Mm-hmm. Um uh, tomorrow night on the 20th, uh, Pride Arts is opening their new show called One in Two. It's an autobiographical play about a young black man who becomes diagnosed with HIV. So we're going to be speaking uh, with Jordan about that um, and hear all about it. It's, it's a new play. Very exciting. Yeah. What's going on there? Oh, and before we, we get to our, our next guest, I do want to say, you know, look, we got to give away prizes, prizes, prizes. Prizes. Just for President's Day. 
I guess. It's a President's Day prizes, prizes, prizes <laughs> kind of event. It's our kind of President's so, uh, Day. So we are giving away a pair of tickets to go see the top five of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 14 coming to Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana's new Hard Rock Live venue on March 25th. So caller number three, you will get a pair of tickets to go see the top five of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 14 at the Hard Rock uh, Casino, Northern Indiana, uh, on March 25th. Contests running on WCPT 820 are open to listeners 18 or older and residents of the greater Chicagoland, northwestern Indiana area. One entry per person, one winner per household, void where prohibited by law. Listeners may only win or qualify to win once every 30 days. Complete rules are available on our website at WCPTA20.com by clicking the contest tab. Again, caller number three will win two tickets to go see the top five of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 14 at the Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana's new Hard Rock Live venue on March 25th. So, good luck out there. Um, Big announcement. There are big things that are going on over there and big things that are going on Mm -hmm. out in Arlington Heights at the Metropolis Performing Arts Center. They've got a new vision, uh, new values, uh, new leadership right now. And to help give us the the scoop is Interim Artistic Director Robbie Simpson. Robbie, welcome to the show. Hey, so happy to be here. Thank you so much. And also, I wish I was caller number three. I know, right? RuPaul's Drag Race ticket. Sounds amazing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, There's Robbie. still time. Oh, dear well, there Lord. There might be another giveaway down the road. I know, I know. But hey, you've got drag going on right now uh, at the Metropolis Performing Arts Center with uh, the legend of Georgia McBride that, that's playing right now. Um before we get into that show, um, well, first of all, congratulations on on the the gig as the interim artistic director. How did how did you get this position? First of all, thank you so much. It's it's really been a dream job, and to be at Metropolis has been such a pleasure and a privilege. Um, I'm a New Yorker. I, I live in Manhattan. I I work there as a director and an actor. I came out to Arlington Heights uh, this summer to direct a production of Cabaret at Metropolis that um, you know I went over very well, and um, everyone seemed happy. The community, all the folks at Metropolis. Uh, so earlier this year, um, they gave me a call and they said we need someone to step in. Uh, for a few months as the interim artistic director to uh, lead us through the legend of Georgia McBride, plan all of next season until uh, the, the new uh, leadership comes in. They're doing a big nationwide search for the artistic director. Um, I got to get back to Manhattan and to some other projects. So I'm just here as the uh, substitute okay. artistic leader in the meantime. That's great though, because I know we need there. There's been a huge uh, um, kind of restructuring. Like people kind of let's, let's, they, uh, a lot of arts organizations these days are really just taking a closer look at their models and about their their policies and procedures that are in place. Uh, I know that uh, Metropolis Performing Arts Center. They recently, you all have revitalized your mission. Can you were you a part of that process, or can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, COVID uh, disrupted the world, and no one can can argue with that in in so many um, unfortunate ways. But it also gave us the opportunity and the space to just sit and think about how we want to come out of uh, COVID and start representing ourselves to the community in Arlington Heights, but the Chicago theater community, and also nationally uh, in terms of our theatrical productions. So we um, did some thinking about how we can do that, how we can make it a pleasurable experience for folks to work uh, offstage, onstage, and that they really want to be coming back. 
And the second half of that is really upping our production values and wanting to keep putting on spectacular shows. Because just like if you're selling anything else, we want to be um, selling audiences a spectacular product that they want to tell their friends about, they want to come back again, and maybe even buy a subscription. So that's the part that I've been really helpful um, and, and has been a big part of my work is, is how do we move the production value? How can we compete with uh, all of the wonderful theatrical offerings that the Chicago theater community has, which is really has a international reputation. Chicago uh, in, in, in the whole world uh, is, is a pillar of theater. There's so many new and exciting things coming out of Chicago and Metropolis really wants to be a part of that. And I think we are becoming that. Yeah, well, yeah, certainly. Yeah. I mean, people, uh, I mentioned earlier, I mean, I'm from the area. I grew up uh, in the Arlington Heights area, and that was not there when I was living there. And I, my friends that are still there, and they just rave about what's going on at downtown Arlington Heights, especially with Metropolis. It's a wonderful venue and a great opportunity for people to experience the arts that, you know, may not want to get into the city. So uh, kudos to everybody out there for, for what they've developed, for sure. I think what's important to recognize with these um, nonprofit uh, community arts institutions is that everything on that stage is programmed, it's built, it's painted, it's sewed for that community. And then after the run of the show, which for The Legend of Georgia McBride is March 4th, that all goes away. You know, we don't pick up and go to another community Mm -hmm. like some of those bigger shows that come through downtown Chicago. You know, it's exciting, but even stuff at Steppenwolf then comes to New York City and then I get to see it. What's happening in Arlington Heights, what's happening in Metropolis um, is really singular. It's programmed for this community and I think it's just a a really exciting part of of the art scene in in, uh, in that uh, this area of the Chicago suburbs. Well, I know yeah, that it, it definitely is, and you know, thanks to your you know stepping in right now as an interim artistic director. Uh, as we began the conversation, I know a lot of arts organizations are really like they are looking about how they can better serve the communities and how they can better have uh, representation when it comes to uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. I know that they are in the search for an artistic director. Do you? I, clearly, you are rooted in New York, and you are like you are you are here. Like this sounds like a great thing that I can help out uh, as we are are trying to move the organization forward. Do you know like what sort of what is the the the, the type of person that they are looking to take over the the reins from you as artistic director? I think someone who is wanting to come in and listen and learn. Uh, to the community and do some research in what does it mean to be a suburb of Chicago? What does it mean to be an, um, you know, on the periphery of, again, one of the biggest theatrical hubs in the nation and, and certainly in the world. So someone who's going to come in and listen and learn before they start to make some structural changes, before they start to make some programming changes. Um, I've been lucky enough to be part of the community now for about six months and have some great conversations with um, everyone from donors to actors to tech folk to, um, to, to people just uh, out in the community to really listen and learn to the kind of programming they want to have. And I think that someone who's really going to come in and, um, and uh, tailor their uh, their strengths and uh, artistic passions to to what's happening here. I also think that they're looking for someone to come in who um, 
is just really excited and loves what they do. I, I start every production and every job by saying, you have to find something you love about it because that's when we're going to get the best work. And everyone that, that works in the theater is there because they really love it. And I, I think that's a, a big part of, of why we do this and what is going to create good work, both artistically on stage, but also a good uh, culture off stage as well. Indeed, yeah, indeed, indeed. You know, you've got to find, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to find that passion. Um, and, you know, I always go back to my friend Cecilia Shiver Griffin Pickle Wingate, who always says, life is too short for mediocre theater, you know? <laughs> so, it's, you know, so we need to uh, it's, have somebody with the passion there. Um, and it sounds like you have that passion. And you recently, you have directed The Legend of Georgia McBride, which is now playing, as you said, through March 4th. Um, it's a comedy about a down-on-his-luck Elvis impersonator turned drag queen. You know, tale as old as time. Um, <laughs> there we go. How, uh, how, how was that experience for you, especially when you're out in the suburbs and might have some sort of resistance to, say, subject matter? Absolutely. It's a great question. Listen, being a New Yorker, The Legend of Georgia McBride opened off-Broadway um, a, a couple years before the pandemic and was a huge hit. So while um, New Yorkers and, and uh, some folks really familiar with the theater scene might very well know of the play, it is something that perhaps doesn't have name recognition uh, that, that we're used to with some programming. But um, and, and to be quite honest, I wasn't involved with the programming of this particular show, but I am so happy that it was. First off, it was written by Matthew Lopez, who I think is is our, my generation's Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams. Uh, he's really the voice of the generation who's continuing to write for theater. He won a Tony Award in 2020. I know you're probably thinking, like, to win a theatrical award in 2020 is quite astounding. Yeah. Um, because uh, there was not a lot happening. Um, but he wrote The Inheritance, uh, which uh, was two parts, similar to Angels in America, queer story, um, an adaptation of an M. Forster book. Mm-hmm. Um, and has continued to write uh, excellent things. I think he's going to win another Tony Award this year for Some Like It Hot, the musical adaptation that is taking New York by storm that we, we all know will come to Chicago at some point. So h- having his pedigree and his words, it's just such a, a beautiful story that, yes, it's, it's specific. It's about uh, a heterosexual man who is married to a woman. He's an Elvis impersonator. He gets fired from his job, but one thing leads to another, and he ends up being a quite excellent drag queen, making a lot of money both for himself and the bar that he's in, and um, learns a lot about himself. And, and I think the way theater works is maybe counterintuitive. Sometimes if we tell a story that's too general, and maybe that's what we want to do because we want to encompass everyone's experiences and everyone, everyone's walks of life to feel included, um, makes, it, makes it actually watered down and it doesn't have the impact. But I think when we tell a specific story like this, you know, um, I have never been in this situation First of all, because I'm queer and uh, getting in drag wouldn't cost me as much as it, as it costs this person living in the panhandle of Florida. Um, but, but I think we've all been in situations in our life that we can resonate like this. Mm-hmm. And because of the beautiful words and the way it's written, the more we get specific, the more we tell these specific stories, you'll find yourself so wrapped up in the story, but also how it applies to your own life and your own 
unconscious bias perhaps you, you've had or, or something that you've always had the passion or wanted to do but, but not done because you were afraid of how you'd be stigmatized or what people will say or think about you. And, and that's really what audiences are, are getting out of this. And uh, it's been really thrilled to, uh, thrilling to hear the response from, from folks that uh, we, you know, uh, are, don't look like the people that are on stage telling the play, but to hear them resonate with it has just been so wonderful. Thank you for enlightening the uh, northwest suburbs of Chicago. And I, I, you know, I wonder how difficult it is to present diverse programming to an area that is clearly not that diverse, over 75, about 75 percent white and some Asian and Hispanic, uh, 10 percent Asian uh nine percent hispanic virtually very few african-american folks and uh, i don't have any census data on the lgbtq community there but you know is it a Girl, you know we're out there i know no, we're out you're out you know. there but you know <laughs> to what extent but is it a, the is gays it a, are there is, the gays it a, are there is it a challenge oh it's absolutely a challenge and that's why it's um how you structure a season is very important. You know, uh, we started with Cabaret, which is, uh, you know, just a classic big Broadway musical that people are very familiar with. We're following it uh, after George McBride is Ragtime, mm-hmm. uh, which does deal with race in America, but it's still very accessible because it was a major commercial Broadway show that's already had a revival that folks are very familiar with. Uh, and then we're finishing up with Xanadu, of course, based on the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Olivia Newton-John film. But when you place something like Georgia McBride in a season that is quote unquote financially safer, it it leads an audience and the audience will begin to trust you that maybe this show has something for me. Or, you know, I really believe that if you put on a show right with spectacular, spectacular actors, design team, costumes, everything, people will, um, People will sit down and listen. And what's been wonderful about this show is to watch the audience grow mm. into this show during the course of the run. If you get a chance to see it, and I just got a, um, a wonderful email from just a, an audience member that said, you know, in the beginning, I was a little hesitant. I wasn't laughing. I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And then she said, right after intermission, I was on my feet cheering and laughing and screaming and hollering for the drag queens. And, Yay. Um, and it's been so wonderful. And uh, just on opening night, there was an um, an 80-year-old couple, and they told me that. They said, we're 80. And they said, we, they, he said, I had never been to a drag show uh, fi- except for 50 years ago I went to one. And he said, it's made me miss uh, this kind of entertainment, and I wish I got to see more of it. And, uh, you know, that's just so thrilling to hear that, that these people were responding to this. Yeah. Um, and it also made me think, what was this drag show you saw 50 years ago? I know, right? Yeah, well, can we talk about that? <laughs> well, been, kudos. Been drag shows, so. Here's to the power of the arts. Yeah, and the power of storytelling, because, you know, it, it's one of those things when you tell a story and you have, uh, when it generates empathy, and the with empathy, that's how you create that's change so within the community. So, so thank true. you so much, uh, Robbie, for uh, for uh Stepping in, taking uh, taking the reins as an interim artistic director uh, for the Metropolis Performing Arts Center, uh, moving it, helping it raise the bar on on all levels when it comes to just quality and equality. So, I, I kudos to that. Um, I know you've got a show that you've got to run off and go and go and act now. Uh, so uh-huh. go do that. But uh, but you know, make sure that you go check out the Legend of George McBride. It runs through uh, March fourth at the Metropolis Performing Arts Center uh, in. In Arlington Heights. You can go to metropolisartcenter.com for more info. Robbie Simpson, congratulations and thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you so much for having me. So thrilled to be able to chat about this show. I think it's so spectacular. And let me tell you, as a huge fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, the drag queens, the makeup, the costumes, it's right up to that caliber. So come check I it out. I know you got Coco Chanel up there. So, Ooh. I mean, so there we go. There we go. We are uh, very I, lucky. All right. Thank you, Robbie. Uh, Robbie Simpson. That's a great thank, work. Thank you so much. Uh, we've got to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're, we're continuing our focus on the arts. Of course we're we just speaking with director Jordan Ratliff about uh, the new show uh, One in Two. Uh, so stick around. You're listening to Out Chicago right here on WCPT. Welcome back. I'm Paul Oakley Stovall. You're listening to Out Chicago on WCPT. And welcome back to Out Chicago. Scott Duff here along with Ellen Miller. Yes, indeed. Rolling along. Mm-hmm. Beautiful day. Mm-hmm. I wore a, I wore a vest. Not even a coat. Yeah, a vest. I should have. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, I love it. It's sunny. It's going to be 50 this afternoon. Just for a little bit and then I'll go back. Yeah, you know, there we go. It'll be fine. I'm very excited. Almost as excited as uh, Nick is. Nick won uh, two tickets to yes. go see the top five of RuPaul's Drag Race Nick. Season 14 coming to the Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana's new Hard Rock Live venue on March 25th. Uh, so congratulations to Nick. Uh, if you want to uh, go check out the girls, the top five girls uh, from Season 14, at the Hard Rock Cafe, you can uh, go t- to uh, Ticketmaster, get your tickets there, mm-hmm. but you got to be 21 or over. Because it is a casino. It is a casino. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I went to go see a show in a casino, mm-hmm. and they were still smoking inside. You know, uh, last time I was in Indiana, we st- years ago, we stopped at a casino, and they were smoking inside. Yeah. It's always weird. I know. It's very, very strange. I don't, I don't know. know. If it's still Maybe it's the hard rock. I don't know. But mm-hmm. we'll we'll be we'll be above that. You can go around that. But it's at the Hard Rock uh, Casino, Hard Rock uh, Northern Indiana dot com is where you can go for more information to get tickets. Or if you just want to give them a call, you can call 219-228-2383 for more information. So go get those tickets. And if you don't feel like traveling mm-hmm. all the way to Indiana, you can just head on over to Lakeview. Yes. Your neck of the woods. My neck of the woods. Your neck of the woods. Lots going on in Lakeview. Lot going on in Lakeview. And tomorrow night, February 20th, uh, Pride Arts opens its latest uh, uh, production called One in Two, an autobiographical play about a young black man who becomes diagnosed with HIV. And joining us now is director Jordan Ratliff. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. You are just an excited, full of energy person, and I love it. Congratulations. (laughs) First of all, thank you so much for taking time out. I know you open the show tomorrow, so I'm sure there is a preview happening or rehearsal happening right now as you're putting all the finishing touches and then the tweaks and and all that good stuff that's happening. Um, So thank you. I really appreciate you taking time out today to join us. Uh, It means a lot, Uh, especially when you're dealing with something that is uh, an, an, an emergency. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to say it. Uh, the the title of the play, One in Two, refers to the shocking statistic that one in two black men in America who have sex with other men will be diagnosed with HIV. Um, Jordan, how, how did this play come to you? Yes, yeah, so um, 
I had previously done work with Pride Arts. I had assistant directed a show with them. I had done a stage reading of a show I had written with them. So I was already really um, familiar with uh, Pride Arts as like a theater and everything. So when they were figuring out uh, what they want to do for their season, Jay Espano, the artistic director, had approached me and asked and said, hey, I found this show. I think that it's really important, really interesting. And uh, would you be interested in in directing it? And so I had read the piece and I was like, immediately like, yes, absolutely. This is right up my alley. I am obsessed with this show. So um, here we are now. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about the play that that really just resonated with you? Honestly, it was the urgency and the call to action. Myself, as a theater artist, I'm all about work that I feel like theater needs to transform and needs to talk and needs to um, evoke some kind of catharsis to its audience. I feel like after some kind of show, you should be changed in some kind of way. And this is a show that's directly, unapologetically itself. It knows what it wants to do. It's asking what it wants from its audience. It's um, begging the audience to make a change, to realize this epidemic that's happening. And that if I could be a part of um, amplifying that story, I absolutely would love to be. Amazing. Yep. Uh, I feel that 100 (laughs) percent. One thing that I think is really interesting about this play um, is the theatrical device of there's like a rotating cast. Uh, Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes, yes. So the the big thing with the show is um, similar to the way that HIV is such an un, um, you can't really predict it. it's unpredictable um, diagnosis. You don't you, there's no way to really predict it. Um, Danye has made it so has made a rule that the audience must choose who plays the role of number one, aka the protagonist. Um, every night, the audience will choose who plays that role. And the actors will decide between themselves through a game of rock, paper, scissors of who plays the other role. <laughs> um, so that so scientifically. Was, I was intro- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Very much. Yes. Yes. And um, that was a big obstacle. And when I was going into this, um, into working on this, I was like, okay, this is a lot. It, it's a very wordy play. Once you come to see it, it, you'll see there's a lot of monologues in it. Lots of really long moments of, of speaking with different, and uh, the actors have to take on um, so many different characters uh, throughout the course of the show. So that was something that I was definitely like, okay, how are we going to attack this monster? Yeah. So how how did you attack that monster? <laughs> yes. Um, so what we did was basically every single day, the act when we. Uh, sent out the daily call, the actors would know what their role assignments were. So, and every single day they would have a different role that they were assigned. So they, every single day they would um, get assigned a different role. So they'd get their, the different tracks in their body. And then as the rehearsal process went on, we started doing rapid switching where we would run a scene and then we'd go back and say, okay, everybody switch roles, do the scene again. And then we'd start doing it in larger chunks. Um, and do the exact same thing. So by the time we get to test week and by the time we get to opening, everyone knows all the roles. We feel good about it. Um, We feel good with whatever we have to do. And the actors have done such a great job. These actors are powerhouses, let me tell you, um, the way that they have taken this in stride. 
Um, but yeah, that's pretty much how um, we kind of tackled this monster, as I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, because that, that is really daunting, you know? Basically, you have, yeah. wow. as as an actor, you have to you have to know the entire play. You're, you're <laughs> actor like, and understudy for all the yeah. roles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and not even to mention the understudies. They have to, they have to know all, all, of, all the roles, too. Like, that wow. is just... A, extremely daunting, but also very, very thrilling for, I think, as an artist and the audience, you know, because you're like, what's going to happen? Who's going to do? And mm, mm, all that good stuff. Um, how have pre- You're in previews right now, correct? So I, I don't know if this has been um, updated yet. So actually, unfortunately, um, due to COVID, <sighs> The the opening has had to be pushed back to this Thursday, so we are now opening on um, February 23rd. Oh, okay. So, well, uh, that's good to know. Yes, yes. So uh, this was a, this literally was a development that happened yesterday. So I can understand that there's um, it's slow to be getting trickled out there, but we're we're re- working really hard. We really want everybody to stay safe. So we thought it would be um, a better idea just to push things back a little bit. Um, but we will be adding another um, performance to our run, so that's another chance for folks to come and see the show. But, you know, Jordan, that is not stinking thinking right there. You know, I think that's great that you're <laughs> looking out for uh, the safety of, of yeah, the cast. Um, so as you are dealing, you know, this is an autobiographical play. Um, were you able to have be in conversation with the playwright what was sort of the the dramaturgical work that goes into producing a show called one in like one and two yeah so a lot of i i unfortunately was not able to chat with donye although i really wanted to we tried to get in in contact with him Mm. and he's a very busy person um (laughs) but uh a lot of the dramaturgical work was on my part with just doing um research about um like talking to folks about what their experience is one one thing that we did as a, as a cast was we just sat down with during table work and uh just chatted about folks we knew or what your experience was with hiv and the stigma behind it and everything and we just did a lot of gathering of hearing from people's experiences and things about uh and using it to inform um the the story and how we were portraying the things and yeah, that's kind of where we were at. That's that's on the dramaturgical side of things. We we were just going more based on personal experience rather than statistical because there's the show itself talks a lot about how we tend to um, change people into numbers and um, dwindle people down to numbers and just statistics and. We really, at least in my vision, I really want to bring out the idea of the individual experience and how we all have. It's kind of counterintuitive to try to um, bring all of this wide range of experiences and them into numbers and things like that if that, if that makes sense sure. yeah there's but a person I, there is a person behind the number numbers, there is yeah. always like the statistics exactly. are not just numbers they are people yeah exactly. totally get it exactly is the yeah. uh does the play because i have not read it yet and since it's not going to be opening till the 23rd does it is it a contemporary play does it take place now or where in time is the is the play set Yes, it's definitely in contemporary time. You will definitely see a lot of uh, contemporary uh, 
music and references and things that uh, that go on throughout the show. So you will definitely feel like, oh, this is happening now. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating because, like, you know, Jordan, you are, you are, uh, I, I dare I go out on a limb and say that you are much younger than Ellen or I. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, oh, you think? You know, uh, <laughs> and I think from a contemporary through a contemporary lens, the HIV AIDS epidemic is a totally different mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. than, say, the ones that Ellen or, or Ellen probably has a different one than I even yeah. I have. Yeah. Um, what has been as you all were sitting down as as an ensemble, as a, a collective of artists uh, dealing with this topic? What? Were there any revelations? Was it were like were you all in the same peer group? Did you have folks that were maybe a little bit older, who who knew of HIV/AIDS in a totally different way than the way it is viewed now? Yes, yeah. It, there was a wide range of folks like that everybody was talking about. There, yeah. um, one of our actors was talking about their mentor. Um, who has been living with the virus and and his experience um, in the '90s with uh, during the the huge epidemic and everything, um, and it's it's been interesting to understand how that has translated to now. And that yes, we have treatment for it and things like that, but there's this disconnect of um, of now that a lot of like queer dating now has been centered around um, like apps and like we have the grinders and the tinders and things like that Mm -hmm. people living and that's how a lot of us have been able to connect with each other and how does that affect when you are living with this virus um how does that affect your ability to connect with other queer people and things like that living with that stigma um and how the stigma is transferred through the generations and how it's much different now well not i won't say much different now but it is different now for folks who are younger um who have the virus and are who are navigating living with that stigma than um, the older folks who had to live with um, the uncertainty of what was even going on and um, not, uh, folks not even wanting to get close to people. That's that's also um, explored in the show as well about how that stigma that we thought was gone back in the '90s is still very much present. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is definitely a, a, a different time when it comes to, in, in regards to treatment and longevity of folks with uh, HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's 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 been fascinating as you know as i was coming up it was in the in the 90s and it was a terrifying time it was absolutely terrifying and now it's no longer seen it's no longer a death, a death sentence, sentence so. you know and there's been so much you know but i can see how the stigma is still very very yeah. real uh when it comes to you know disclosing your status when folks right. come to see one and two um, with a totally healthy non-COVID cast on the 23rd. Mm. Um, what do you hope they take away from the show? Yes, um, I hope that they take away that this is not just one story. This is many stories. And that this is not just a theater experience where you go see a show, then you go home and you continue just living your life. This is a call to action. So what I would want the audience to do is after seeing the show, thinking about how I can change, how I can make a difference, how I can help and do something. That's what, that's a line in the show is like, I like, we just need you to do something, anything. 
Um, so that's really what I want to take the audience take away is that is that call to action. I love a clarion call of time to do something. Yeah. Act up. Yeah. That's that's what I'm going to say to that. There we are. Well, yeah. uh, Jordan Ratliff, uh, break legs for you. Uh, this sounds like a, a really important story told in a very intriguing way. Uh, it's uh, It seems like you can come back on and for multiple viewings, too, to see a completely different show as the cast does rotate and the audience chooses who, who will be number one mm-hmm. here. And also, thank you for... Um, Presenting a story that's hoping to take away, put put a human face to a number. Um, I think that is really, really important because, you know, sometimes concerned folks get very concerned, you know, about numbers, but then they forget that they're actually nice people. people. Yes. So thank Absolute you. Important. Thank you for doing that. So one in two uh, presented by Pride Arts is going to open on the 23rd yes. now. And I still it will still run through the 19th of March. It sure will. Okay, and there's a special bonus performance thrown in somewhere. But if you uh, if you yeah. want to find that one out, if you want to find out more about that, you can go to pridearts.org. Uh, again, the play is one and two. Opens on the 23rd at Pride Arts, uh, the Art Pride Arts Center, uh, in Lakeview. Um, or I guess is that Buena Park? It's still Lakeview-ish to me. That whole thing is Lakeview down there. <laughs> it's there Buena Park. Yeah. Oh, it is Buena Park. Okay, it's Lakeview yeah. adjacent. I always when I lived down there, I used to live right on the other side. I lived on Sheridan Road. Mm. I still call it Lakeview. Mm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> there we are. Neither here nor there. But you need to get there to see one and two at Pride Arts, uh, the Pride Arts Center. Jordan Ratliff, uh, thank you. Speedy recovery to everybody in the cast and break legs as you head towards opening night. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure, Jordan. Our pleasure, Good our luck. pleasure. We uh, And break all the legs. Break legs. There we go. Uh, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, it is the final thrilling show-stopping moments about Chicago right here on WCPT. This is Tanya Richard from Tanya's Take, Race, Culture, and the Culture of Race, and you are listening to Out Chicago, WCPT. And welcome back to Out Chicago. Scott Duff here along with Ellen Miller. Rolling along. It's great that Tanya was there. She's going to be joining us next week because yes. you, you're going to be out of town. I'm going to be out of country. Out of, out of and country. Out of town. Yeah, out of our country. annual little trip to uh, Isla Mujeres, Mexico. You and Sweetie. Yes, it's our special it's a sweetie, time. It's a sweetie time. It is. It's a sweetie time in the <laughs> Island of Ladies. Yes, it is. There we are. And International Women's uh, Day happens while we're there every year. I forget the actual day. Maybe it's March 1st or something, but... We will be celebrating internationally in an island called Island of Women. So there we are. I don't know I, how you can celebrate an International Women's Day any better than I that. I don't think so. And you're and you you're being ladies. That sounds great. Yeah, it's going to be great. There we go. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that'll yes. be fun. Yes. Although we're not escaping a big winter, but it's nice to get uh, away. For a couple days. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Speaking of, of ladies, y'all, we lost uh, Raquel Welch this this I'm week. So sad. Like. That was so, I, for some reason, I don't know why it hit me very hard, but it kind of hit me yeah, in a strange when you way. Yeah, a kid, you know, she was an icon. She was an icon. But then, but, you, but here's the, this is, uh, if, if we can learn something from, from folks, you know, we, were, we talked about like how unfair 
the the yeah. unfair uh, expectations that are are placed upon women. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about this frequently. I'd like to talk about it a lot yep. because I think it is ridiculous the amount of BS that women have to deal with on a day to day basis. Just even leaving your house is incredible to me and every single woman or or female identifying person who leaves their home should just be given a thousand dollars every day for just all the crap that you have to deal with and how for your empathy well it's it's ridiculous and and also how it's it diminishes people you know raquel welch i think was somebody who had to constantly fight Against for being credibility for and, credibility yeah. for for just even for being branded a sex symbol, mm-hmm. you know she was the reluctant sex symbol. She made a fur bikini really really popular, yeah, you know. That was was that her first because like I I'm I'm not so deeply entrenched in the Raquel Welch oeuvre. Mm-hmm. But that was 6 million B.C. And she also did, uh, was it uh, uh, Fantastic one million, Voyage? One million years B.C. One million years B.C. In 1966. That kind of That was a just... doe-skin bikini. Became best-selling uh, posters all over the world. Yeah. A sex symbol. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. She also starred in uh, Bedazzled, Bandoletto, 100 Rifles, Myra Breckenridge. Myra Breckenridge and everything. And but she popped up later on, you know, like she would pop up in Legally Blonde and all these other things. And she she was she was on Broadway in, yes. in Woman of the Year. You know, she right. was one of these people who constantly had to fight to be taken seriously mm-hmm. because when she was first introduced to the world she was nothing but a pair of boobs in in a, I know. In a, and that, as a kid i mean as a young you know i'm like that's what oh is that what we're supposed to grow into i mean it was a big you yeah. know it was all about that you know and uh everybody every comedian scott you know the late night comics in the day with johnny carson mainly joey bishop whatever it was always there was she was a punchline always because I know. of her boobs yeah because of her breasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah and you know, was, and, people, and kids like are like, you know, you grow up with that. And it's like, wow, you know, we should objectify women's breasts then, you know. Um, oh, yeah. We started watching old um, Johnny Carson, old Tonight Shows mm-hmm. recently. Okay. Because that's what we do. Right. And it's just like the jokes that are told, you're like, whoa. I know. We've come a long way, baby. Whoa. We've come a long you know? way. Uh, she was born in Chicago, which I didn't know or remember. Uh, you know Raquel. Uh, so, do I, I'm sorry. She was born in Chicago. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which I didn't realize until I was reading, you know, hearing her bio. But she also refused to ever do nude scenes. So you know, people looked at her as being this, you know, vixen kind of gal. But in truth, uh, she had modesty. She had her own. Well, you know, she kept limits. saying she's like, I don't want to be a sex no, symbol. She didn't I like to be. did not. That's not what I want. And you know. When I found out the news, of course, I found out, thank you, Twitter, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but watch, they were, um, of course, the, the infamous doe skin bikini mm-hmm. was was popping up everywhere. But then somebody posted uh, her on The Muppet Show. Yes, I saw a photo of her on The Muppet Show. But they showed a video of her on The Muppet Show. Okay. Okay. I only saw a and photo. The ent- but through the entire thing, she is... Dancing. She does an entire musical number. She she was singing and dancing and dancing her butt off. Nice. Like 
like an incredible like this is look at this talented human being mm-hmm. right here and that's uh, that's what I always loved about the the uh, the Muppet show. show oh yeah the Muppets are my go to if I'm ever ever sad go back to old Muppet shows they make it uh, if you need some a uh, good pick pick me up Muppet show I'm telling you you can find them they're great but like they because they take these superstars who agreed to come on to a show with Muppets. You know, yeah, and show them like for the truly talented artists that they were. And she was just like high kicking. She was fighting this little giant spider creature. I mean, she <laughs> again, she had to do it in a skimpyish outfit, mm-hmm. not so skimpy. But she was like, "This is what I can do." And I think, you know, somebody who walks through life having you know the grace, intelligence, and talent that Raquel Welch had, uh, you know. It's got to be hard. Yeah. It's got to be, again, for the, the expectations that people put on folks. Well, maybe it's a lesson we can learn. Yeah, sadly, you know. How many times I do you know, have to learn this I lesson? I mean, we were we were just having this debate but last week I know we about were. Madonna. Yeah. You know, yeah. about like, oh, how she is, like, you know, she's done all this stuff. It's like, well, she feels like she has to. And she also is the queen of reinvention, mm-hmm. you know, that whole thing. But I don't know. I did just... Oh, yeah. It was sad. Uh, we lost another uh, woman that was very popular when I was a kid, uh, Connie Stevens. When Connie Stevens passed? She passed I did away. Not know yeah, that. she passed away the other day as well. I watched her as a kid in shows like Hawaiian Eye and Sun 77 Sunset Strip. 77 Sunset Strip. Yeah, and Maverick uh-huh. and all the, you know, all these TV shows, as a black and white TV shows I grew up on. I remember Connie Stevens from uh, Grease 2. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was in She's Grease, Grease 2. 2. That's how I, uh, my, my introduction did, yeah, to yeah, her. Have our, our touchstones, as it were. Uh, but yeah, you know, and I, that's a, but another, you know, I that's when I, when I talked about Lori Lightfoot last week. Women are judged completely on a different level. Yep. Like, I have a friend liberal friend, Democrat friend. Uh, one of the things that she's not voting for Lori about is because she's still upset about when she got her hair done during COVID. You okay? know, that keeps popping up, and I can don't... You, can we please, like, not put women under this magnifying glass? It is ridiculous. Well, I, now, now, is she more upset that she got her hair done, or is she upset that she broke the protocol? I think... Broke the protocol. In order to get the hair done. Pro- broke the protocol. Okay, how many people broke the protocol, though? Everybody I mean, that could get away with it. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, we, you did as best you could, but I know, like, you know, I potted up. That wasn't exactly the safest thing to do. You know, people were still making trips to grocery stores and things like that. So everybody- People, you know, it's hard to judge when we are faced with a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic and how we how we dealt with it. Yes, there was some hypocrisy there, but if that's one of the worst things you can bring up about her, please, let's well, not do that. And, you know, unfortunately, like, as I think to your point, she had to get her hair done because she had to go on to the news. And because she's a woman, she would be judged Exa- on what she it's looked no, like. Exactly. If she came with unruly to, hair, they would have said, oh, my God, she looks horrible. Yeah. You know, it's all about looks when it's a woman. When a guy comes on, you know, they don't judge them on their looks. Yeah. But it it's could be still a woman thing. And I, it makes me mad. And it makes me mad, so, too. anyway. It makes me mad. Too. Okay, so speaking of women thing, mm. uh, the, the Super Bowl happened. Yes. There there we are. Uh, we'll get to the game in a second. Okay. But, uh, but Brianna did yeah. the did the halftime show. Oh, I'm sorry, Stella Stevens. Stella Stevens. She's oh, who died, not, not Connie. Stevens. Oh, that's a big difference. Oh gosh. 
Why did we think I thought Connie died? I'm Wait, now sorry. I want to look up Stella Stevens. But there, no, I need to look. My, my crack producer just. Uh, All right, there we are. The fact checker that we got. But Stella was also a beauty. Stella Stevens. Everybody, I'm looking her I'm up sure right now. I'm sure that wasn't her real name. Yeah, she was a nutty professor in Poseidon Adventure. I knew. She oh, was the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, That's she, what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in that and a bunch of other stuff. But anyway. she was another one who was also like. Oh, objectified yeah. totally. in that movie. Totally was. All right, Stella anyway. Stevens. That's a totally different thing. But, okay, Rihanna. Rihanna. The halftime show. Uh -huh. Did you watch? Of course. What'd you think? I didn't know one single song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a rock and roller. I'm not a pop bum. You are a rock but, and roller. you know, my, my friend Tracy, who's African-American, was there, and Kathy, and they're looking at me like, girl, you don't know any of these. I'm like, well, you're a younger than me, and you listen to more pop music than me. But uh, you know, I enjoyed it. I, but you didn't like none. You didn't like because it, Rihanna has pretty much entered into the zeitgeist. I know she's. I look at. I give her all. You know, she's a successful woman on so many levels. I guess she's got a makeup line. That's she's a multi-billionaire oh, because of yeah. that. I respect her. I love the fact that you know she hadn't performed in years. She performed pregnant. Yeah. Uh, I had ultimate respect, and I enjoyed it. And I were, enjoyed it. You know, this is what that's I think. It. This is here's my thing. I thought she was pleasant. You know, it was like she was pleasant. I loved the setup that they had with the floating stages, those yeah, little that's floating was, things. That was cool, especially because I hear she has a fear of heights. So knowing that yeah, after the fact, I would have been freaking out. She because, was attached and tethered there. But yeah, 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 still. but not at the end. Well, maybe she did. Maybe we didn't cut away when yeah. she went back up to yeah, the thing they had her to shine like yeah. bright like a diamond. Mm -hmm. But uh, but those dancers were up there doing that. Like that would have freaked me out. Production-wise, I thought it was great. I loved like her being in red. I loved that it was just her. Because yeah. usually there's always there's like a, a slew of like guest yeah. artists coming in mm -hmm. and doing this whole thing. It was like, nope, it's just going to be her. She uh, he, controversial in the gay community. I've never thought Rihanna was a performer. She's a great studio artist. She's somebody who like. You know, she has a gazillion hits. Yes. I mean, she's definitely like in terms of her music career, mm -hmm. um, you know, she's she, she's done great, you know, mm -hmm. but she's not a performer. She's I remember the first time I saw her because I, I heard um, I think it was either S.O.S. or Ponder Replay, which were, and these means nothing to you. Oh, wait, Ponder Replay. We, her band did Ponder Replay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kathy Richardson said, let's do a Nelson. And, I, and we, did that, we did that. I have performed Rihanna's song. There what you am go. I talking well, she about? She should have played it at, at the Super that Bowl. That song I like. The, I would have recognized I that one. Oh, Mr. That's one of my favorites. We like that one. I heard that. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And then I saw her and I on some morning show. I think it was like Regis and Kathy. Regis and Kathy. No, but Kathy Lee wasn't there. It was the other one. Uh, the uh, the, the perky girl. Yeah. Uh, I just called her a girl. Oh, That's Kelly, awful. Kelly, Kelly. Kelly Ripa. She's a grown woman Kelly. with children. I called her a girl. Ryan Kelly Ripa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There, but it was, uh, but when, like, she, I saw her on there and I was like so excited. I'm like, oh, because I know Jay-Z produced her and, right. you know, she was discovered in Barbados and all this good stuff. And then when I saw her, I'm like, oh, she just doesn't project she goes projects three feet in front of her and then it stops. You know, she's not like a not every great singer is a good person. No, that's dancer, what I mean. She's performer. not like a Beyonce yeah. who like, you know, goes to or the back spoiled. row, right. you know, who does that does that sort of thing. So the performance that we got, I kind of expected. Mm -hmm. You know, 
kudos to her for getting up there pregnant. Oh my God. Floating around up there and doing all that. Uh, but also, you know, and it had been seven years since she performed live. Yeah. Imagine doing, taking a seven year hiatus and then stepping into the, the largest venue in the world. Pregnant. Pregnant <laughs> and doing her stuff. You know, I, I, admi- say, I admired her performance. You know, I enjoyed it. I'm always entertained. You know, Prince will always go down as my favorite same. of all time. Same. It's going to be Best hard to beat show. that one. Best halftime show. Because he did that? it in the rain. Yeah, in the rain, uh-huh. too. Oh, and just... there were people who were under the stage, like, holding together the things, like, getting <laughs> fear of electrocuted <laughs> because it was Prince. Yeah. Damn it. That's hard but, to but, but Rihanna, like, for taking the seven years off, but she is also uh, a huge mogul, fashion mogul, uh, makeup, cosmetics. Yeah. I think she gave a little nod when she took the little powder pot oh, thing yeah. in the in the middle of the of her, her performance. Stuff. Why not? She but I'm like, you know what? It. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's very, very talented. And congratulations on being pregnant. That's great. That's my review. Also, a, a, Kansas City won. Kansas City won. There it was we go. A, a, people uh, loved the game. It was an exciting game. Lots of points. Lots of offense. Uh, it was a great game. It's one of the. One of the it was a fun after. It was a fun evening. Well, there all we the go. Way around. I did not watch the game. I made chili. Yeah, it was I, good. I know you were working. I sold people snacks. Yes, you did. You did what and you needed to do. And then everybody. It was so funny. It was quiet madness. And then five thirty. Yeah, Tumbleweeds. People are at parties. Everybody had a party. It was great. There we are. So that's America. There we are. And that's the end of our show. (laughs) So there we go. Uh, Hey, I want to thank our guests, uh, Jordan Ratliff and Robbie Simpson. Uh, Congratulations to Nick on winning those RuPaul tickets. Yeah. Congratulations, Nick. Devin, thank you so much. Uh, Be sure to tune into the Sports Cubicle at 9 o'clock. Paul, thank you so much. Ellen Miller, have a fabulous time. I will see you in a couple weeks. I'll see you in a couple weeks. There we are. And I'm Scott Duff. And until next week, stay. Stay proud. proud.